Does that seem large enough? All right, so last, last week where we left off, oh, well, let's get that off there. I was heavy fingered, I guess. So um, last week when we left off, I was going to read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. There weren't a lot of prophetic visions or direct word from God at this time. We know they had strayed. So, And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, this is Eli, he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lay down. So Samuel went back and laid down again. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if, let's see, no, sorry. Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And that leads us to these questions here. Uh, number 14, why did Samuel not immediately recognize that it was God who was speaking to him? Verse 7 says Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the Lord had not been had not made direct contact with him in this way. Like in times past, he had given visions to others like Joseph and Jacob and different ones he had directly communicated with. But that had not happened yet with Samuel. So he did not know what was going on. It looks like Eli was the only other person there. So what we, you know, you just naturally assume that other person he called. That would make the most sense, yeah. And uh, Eli was, Eli seems to have been sleeping near somewhere, not exactly sure where. Uh, some translations say that Samuel was sleeping like in the tabernacle. Now, not in, not in like the Holy of Holies, but in the tabernacle. Um, so, I think, I think it might be what the NIV says, something like that. And uh, Eli did not realize either. And, and, you know, it says that it was a long time God had not spoken to the people. Right. And he didn't realize, of course, maybe he was half asleep too. And... But Eli had probably not been communicated with either. As we know, him and his boys were not exactly in favor because of... That. Have somebody, you have God calling, it's like, whoa, this, is, this hasn't happened for a while. Yeah. finally realized it. Yeah, and I guess that would be like if one of us had that happen, we would think we were going crazy. We would think we were hearing something. You know, nowadays, we're so far removed from all that. 
Does anybody have anything else on that? All right. So question number 15, since the since verse 1 states that revelation from God was rare in those days, do you have an idea why why that would be the case? In other words, why why was revelation rare in those days? Yeah, Kim. Right, because of their poor spiritual condition, they were straying from God, we know. Uh, like it says in Judges, you know, everyone was doing what was right in their eyes. They weren't really following God like they should have been. And we know that from the Judges study that we just did. Well, we did recently. Anything else? God has a plan. And, and evidently, I mean, if, if what you're telling Eli and his sons, what to prophesy, what to say and do, and they're disobeying. God was waiting till till somebody could come along, Samuel, that could come along. So why why would he go ahead and tell them to do something when they're gonna ignore it or, or do something totally totally against God anyway? They already weren't listening. That was that's a big problem. They were already not listening. So yeah, how would he communicate, or why would he bother? You can see too that uh, <clears throat> we all we know about Samuel's sons that they were wicked, and uh, the fact that he was speaking to Samuel was he was choosing him. He had something for him to do. Yes, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, God was choosing Samuel, definitely, definitely. Right. And when we know that he, yeah, he was going to have a lot to do. So, um, let's see. Question 16, how does the latter part of verse 2 explain what follows? Well, let me look back here. The latter part of verse 2. Let's see if that question... I hope this wasn't one of those that didn't make sense. He was asleep. He was about to go to sleep. Well, asleep. he was lying down his places. He could not see. Eli was almost blind, is the latter part of verse 2. Does that make sense? Yeah, and Sammy probably thought, well, if he's blind, maybe there's something he needs he can't see to get to. Right. I, I think Samuel was accustomed to waiting on Eli, like you're saying. He was watching out for him, taking care of him, because he was blind, or almost blind. He's very dim, so that tends tends to make me think that he's really blind or close to it. Yes? I don't think God had a habit of talking to young kids, <laughs> I don't know how old he was here, but yeah, he, he would seem to be pretty young still. Yep. Yeah, I would expect the high priest to be yeah. spoken to first before me. So. Yes. yes. Judges chapter 13, 
in verse 25, it says that uh, Samson grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to fill him. And I wonder if this is a similar thing because it, it tells us that Samuel did not yet know the Lord, um, but maybe this is the beginning of the spirit filling him to start the work that God had planned for Samuel to do. It could be that this was, yeah, this was the beginning. At least it looks like it is the beginning. I mean, it does look like it's the beginning of uh, him starting to really interact with and use Samuel. And there are some parallels between Samuel and Samson, but I think there's a question for that, so I don't want to get ahead. Did you have something? told how long time has passed since Hannah brought him to no. And, uh, we just know that it said that he had been ministering unto the Lord before Eli. Right. And that's all we know. We don't really know the exact age or anything right now. Does anybody have anything else on that? Okay. So, question 17. Explain what is said about the lamp of God. And it says, I have these references in the lie of these references, which I'll, I'll read those, but does anybody remember what this is referring to? They were to keep it burning uh, all night from, from... Continually. Yes. That light was never to go out. But if we look at uh, verse 3, it shows that they were letting it go out because it says before it went out. As if that was just a standard thing that they were letting happen. At least that's the way it read to me. Now, the lamps were of the, the twelve represented the twelve tribes of Israel. Right, the big. Uh, they call it menorah. Is that right? Anyway, the big candle with the twelve lights. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess I think of it as a big candle, but well, I think the, it's a golden the lamp Jews stand. When they celebrate the Hanukkah. They have the seven candles for the seven days. Oh, they do. That's different. Okay. See, I don't know the Jewish traditions that much, so that's the difference there. That's seven. Okay. That's good. And the lamp of God, uh, or the light of uh, his presence, is brought up again in Revelation, where there'll be no night there, and the glory of him will be the light. Right. Right. Yes, Dan. In uh, Leviticus, it, it talks about, well, they're, they're supposed to use clear oil to press hours. And Leviticus 24, in verse 3, it says, uh, Aaron is to tend the lamps before the Lord from evening until morning, continue. And in the previous verse they give here, uh, Exodus 27, it says it's to be kept burning from evening until dawn. Well, evening until morning. Right. And, well, so I, I don't think it confirms continuously. Exodus 27, 20, and 21. If you look at verse 20, this is what, now, this is the New King James Version, I believe. I don't think I was looking at the ESV, but nonetheless, you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. Now, that's what this translation said. However, if yours says something a little different, then... Well, in the next verse down, it says, uh, Aaron, Aaron and his sons keep lamps burning before the Lord from evening to 
Yeah, they shall tend it from evening until morning. Right. But then above that, it does say burn continually in mind. So I, will. I think they're to keep it burning continually until the morning. And then because that's kind of what I get out of the lamp had not gone out yet. When, uh, so you're thinking maybe it's leaning towards early morning. That's what I was thinking. It's ah. Thinking Yeah, I don't know. There could be something to that, too. Now, in Leviticus 24, the verse, first four verses, it again does say, though, in, in the verse, second verse, it says to make the lamps burn continually. Now, again, that's this same translation. So, yes. You know, I think it might be right that it was continual because um, there was no light in there. That was the only source of light. And, you know, those heavy coverings over the holy place. That's what I had assumed is that it was covered. They had to go in during the day to do something. They had to have light. I had assumed it was covered, but I, I don't. I know the Holy of Holies is covered. Is the whole tabernacle covered? Yes. I think it is. Yeah. So, yeah, there would have to be some light. So it kind of makes. There were no windows. Right. There were no windows. Yeah. That's that's right. Yeah. So I. I, I tend to think they really did have to keep the light on, but still, it is interesting that they do say that differently in the next verses down about evening until morning twice. So, so they repeat the same thing in Exodus and Leviticus. I wondered if uh, the candles burned down twice a day and they had to put new candles in. Oh, I don't know. That could be. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's true. It does state it's olive oil. Yeah. That they state they use olive oil. So it's an oil it's an oil lamp, really. It's not it's not candles, that's right. I always think of candles too. That's just Okay. What is uh, what is the idea of beaten? Uh, the olive oil has to be beaten in order for it to that's how I'm now see, one says, Mine says pressed, and I think they mean. Mine says pressed instead of beaten. It's talking about pressed it to press the, the oil out of the olives. Oil out of the olives. Squeeze them really hard. Yeah, mine says pressed, and I think that's all they really mean. Yeah, but this other translation does say beaten too, but but I think they just mean pressed or squished like grapes or something to get the juice out, kind of that kind of thing. That's. That's what it says. It had to be pure oil of pressed olives, so it had to come from olives, however you would treat that and do that, Pat. Uh, when they talk about pure olive oil today on the shelves, it'll say extra virgin olive oil. And from what I've read, they do two pressings of the olives. And what we're talking is about the first press, and the second would be regular olive oil. It would have some impurities there. 
Yeah, it, it would still work, but it wouldn't be as strong. Oh, okay. That's what I read anyway. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with olive oil, so that's interesting. So, so what we're talking about, you said, is the first pressing the better or the worse? The better olive oil? Yeah, okay. All right. Does that help you at all, Shirley? I'm sorry. I'm wondering what caused the lamp. I'm wondering what caused the lamp to go out. Well, it would run out of oil, like any any lamp back then. Where there even we we got confused with candles, but an oil lamp, you're burning the oil, so eventually you're going to run out if you don't come in and fill it and keep it filled. Yeah, yeah. I imagine. Right. I imagine every few hours they probably had to come through and add oil in to keep it going. Just like our kerosene lamp we used to have. I'm sorry, what, Judy? Do you suppose that was part of Samuel's duties? Maybe because some of the translations say that he was sleeping in the tabernacle, so maybe, but uh I think I think ultimately, like they said Aaron was responsible. I think ultimately Eli being the high priest, he was the had the ultimate responsibility. Did you have something, Jim? Their instructions were that they were to prepare the oil and they were to keep it from going out. Right. That was my understanding. They were following their instructions that God gave them. That's right. They were to keep it. That was my understanding, too. That's what I, when I read this, that's what I had thought also. That's what I believed that they, yes. His lazy, apathetic priest who didn't care about this special role and this privilege that they were given to teach things the way God said. They were not diligent and they were just letting everything kind of go apart, really. Yeah, his sons were not doing good at all. We know that from previous, from last week. But, uh, but Eli is ultimately responsible, though, being the high priest. And we're going to, there's going to be something about that. We're going to see that. So, um, let's see. So does anybody have anything else about the lamp and the lamp being allowed to go out or? Okay. All right. So let's look at the next verses, which are Samuel chapter three, verses 10 through 18. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both... Yeah, I thought I was misreading it, sorry. Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. One translation sh uh, said shudder instead of tingle, if that makes any difference. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. 
Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, Here I am. And he said, What is let's see, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything, and hid nothing from him. And he said, this is Eli, he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And some, uh, some translations say that more like, He'll do what is right in his eyes. The Lord will do the right thing, in other words. So I just mentioned that in case that's clearer. Um, we look at question 18. What is the announcement that God made to Samuel? Right. He's telling him that uh, Eli's sons and his house, Eli, they're all going to be judged. And not in the good way, they're just, they're going to be punished. It's going to be not nice. And uh, question 19, why was Eli blamed for the sins of his sons, even though he had warned them? And you can see he warned them back in uh, chapter 2, verses 23 and 25. That was a verbal warning. Right. He did not really do anything. It says restrain, but he did not really do anything to remove them or stop them. He just verbally talked to them. He didn't take any real action. Yes, Dan. Eli was the one, he was ultimately the one that was responsible for yep. keeping them in line. Uh, if it wasn't, even if it wasn't his own sons, somebody that is the head, the head priest, you have people under you, and you just like, well, you guys shouldn't be doing that, and they continue to do it, then it's his responsibility to punish them, to yep. cut them out, say, you're not doing this anymore. And that's what he should have done. He was supposed to, as the high priest, even whether it's his sons or not, does it, that doesn't even really matter. They should have been pushed out and not allowed to perform those duties anymore. They should have been uh, not just fussed at. Fussing at is maybe one time, you know, but uh, not continually, especially not then. Let's see. Um, okay, so, yeah, and that's, we answered the second part of this question. What else should he have done? Rather than just verbally talk to them, they were supposed to be removed from serving in that area. So, so question number 20. What did Eli's reaction to Samuel's disclosure of God's revelation to him show about his character? Yeah, it's Eli. Eli. I know what he you're saying, but. Of God's, I've got him backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he was accepting, accepting of God's will in the matter. 
He was. He was accepting. I, I meant uh, there was something else back on the previous thing with the uh, sons. They they were not just being unclean themselves, but they were causing other people to be unclean and sin. That's why their sin was much, much worse than just like a normal sin. But anyway, um, but yeah, on Eli, he seemed to just accept it. But that struck me as kind of odd because it seems like he's just given up. He's just, you know, he's just like, well, okay, the Lord will do whatever. He's not, even at this point, when he hears this, he knows him and his sons are about to be judged. He doesn't make any effort to do anything. He doesn't make any effort to change. He doesn't even just pray to God and say, uh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Hold on, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. You know, something. But he doesn't do anything. He's just like, eh, okay. Maybe the realization finally hit him that, you know, I should have been doing this, taking care of this problem before God brought somebody else in here, Samuel, and this this is what God thinks is right and good. I'm not standing in his way or do anything against God. Oh, no, yeah. Because he, he might have felt regret. You know, I, I should have done something 10 years. Besides just, well, you guys shouldn't be doing that stuff, you know. Yeah, he may have felt regret. Uh, it just seems like he's he's really compromised to a bad, you know, level, to a bad end. Um, so, and then, what did Samuel's faithful delivery of such a message reveal about him? As you were saying. He was truthful. He was truthful even... Um, in a hard, doing a hard thing, telling someone something he knew was bad for them. He was still truthful and honest and forthright. Does anybody, does anybody have anything else on that? Yes. Okay, on 18. Right. Now, maybe Eli was realizing that. I don't know. But. Yes. Yeah, and I guess that would have been a wake-up call to Eli as well as Samuel. Yeah, because he would be like, well, Samuel's going to be the, the guy moving forward. Maybe he realized that. Maybe he thought that. But definitely, um, yeah, definitely he spoke to Samuel back in that verse, and then later is the verse where everyone else knew about this, or it became he became established. But that's something we'll get into as well. Does anyone have anything else? All right, so we got a few verses here in... Uh, Samuel chapter 3. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. 
And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And then there's this first little part of chapter 4, verse 1, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So then we look at these questions here, 21. Uh, how was God's presence with Samuel manifested? What? I know this is kind of a strange translation, uh, let none of his words fall to the ground, but that means that everything Samuel said was from God. It came true. It was real. It was genuine. So it uh, happened as he said. God, yes, go ahead. Uh, my translation uh, for falling on the ground is to fail. His word did not right. Fail. His word did not and, fail. Um, that goes back my mind to a story, and I can't remember who it was, but I think it was one of the Israel, uh, one of the tribe of Israel who was having relations with a woman, and he didn't complete the sexual act, and he let his seed fall to the ground, and so he let it fail. Well, yeah. And I think that's probably where it came from. Okay. But yes, <laughs> that's, well, that's one way of, yeah, but yes, definitely, that was the note I had, too, was that, uh, that phrase would mean that the words were unfulfilled or powerless. And God had already told them, I forget which book in, that if someone prophesied and it didn't happen, that was somebody they didn't have to worry about. You could just ignore them and go on. But with Samuel, he always fulfilled because God was re speaking to Samuel and Samuel was really repeating that. He made sure that that was, uh, that was fulfilled those words. Yes. Yes. Right. Samuel's Samuel's words were from God. And so God fulfilled those words. So everyone knew that what Samuel said. Yet where Samuel has been anointed yet to be a priest? I don't see that he's been anointed yet, no. no. Not, in, not in what I've read so far. I'm only a little bit ahead of us. I try not to be too far ahead because then I'll get confused. So <laughs> Anyway, um, does anyone have anything else on that? Because we kind of answered the question, uh, the part two question, what is the meaning of the phrase fall to the ground? So what reputation did Samuel get? Number 22. Well, he became known as the prophet of God, right? He was confirmed by his words because his words were coming from God. And then this is a simple, easy one we can do, and then we'll, we'll be done for the evening. Uh, question number 23, where did God reveal himself to Samuel? 
In Shiloh, right. Right. It was in Shiloh. And that initial time, it was in the tabernacle, from what we understand. Excuse me? The earliest time, yes. Yes, yes, right. So, okay. So that is it for chapter 3, and we'll pick up with chapter 4 next week. Thank you all for your time and your attention and everything. So since I have the invitation this evening, I just have a few verses here. It's from Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56. I know Psalm 119 is a really big psalm, so this is just a few verses from that, 49 through 56. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent, the insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. And we can see this in the world today, can we? People misunderstand or don't want to understand the love of God. And, you know, they criticize and, and belittle us for following God's morality, God's plan. If they accepted God, then they would have to change. They would have to change their sinful and selfish life. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. And I know at times we feel that too, that hot indignation when we see the murder of children and the lies that are broadcast continually that, you know, are not the truth. They are not God's truth. They're not any truth. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord and keep your law, this blessing has fallen to me, that I have kept your precepts. <clears throat> Excuse me. As we close in on the new year, let's be prepared for the trials to come. We know that each year has its own troubles, its own trials. Uh, remember this coming year to take comfort in God's word. It's only a few weeks away. I know that's kind of odd, but I've realized that today. It's only a few weeks away we'll be going into the new year. Um, but regardless of the situation or the appearance of our situation, God is with us. Don't let the hard times distract us from the Lord. His word or his teachings, they are a blessing to us. They aid us in our difficulties. And except that the year we'll have, it'll have its own problems, its own issues, its own difficulties. But God's blessings will carry us through those rough times, through those hard times. And if we remember the first part of this verse from Isaiah, this may, may be of help. This is where God expresses his love for us. It, it does apply to us as God's people. It's Isaiah chapter 43, verse 4. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. So, as we move to the new year, let's remain faithful to the Lord and know that he is faithful to us, that he loves us and cares about us. Know that his blessings will overcome our troubles. We can acknowledge the issues and the problems, 
but we need to focus on God and his love and his blessings. And if anyone here needs to respond to the call of the Lord for any reason, if we're here to help you or to be here for you, please come forward as we stand and sing.